Say one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. You're listening to Song and Story, conversations with songwriters about their songs. You can support this project on Patreon, and you can listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Learn more at songandstorypodcast.com. Before I launched this podcast back in 2018, I made a great big list of all the artists I'd love to feature. Dennison Whitmer was on that list, and this is his episode of Song and Story. If you're unfamiliar with Dennison's music, his latest album is a fine place to start. It's called American Foursquare, and it is fantastic from start to finish. Because Dennison and I talked for almost two hours, and because the conversation was so engaging, I had a really hard time cutting stuff out. I've included an extended bonus clip at the end, after the main portion of the episode. It's bits of our conversation that weren't directly related to our featured song, but were super interesting, and will give you more of a glimpse into the artistry and the person of Dennison Whitmer. After that, if you want even more, Dennison was kind enough to let me ask a few questions about another song of his, and that will be available as a whole separate 30-minute episode exclusively for our patrons. To get access to that, go to patreon.com slash song and story. The simplest way that I can describe Dennison's new record is this. Beautiful, thoughtful, poetic personal, ethereal folk, the songs are imbued with a sense of place. And that's something that comes up often on this podcast, how formative our experiences of certain places can be, and how those experiences stick with us and get remembered and relived in our minds as we grow older. Hi, this is Dennison Whitmer from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. This is a song from my new album, American Foursquare. This song is called San Francisco. Maybe I should book a flight San Francisco Rent a car and drive up through the redwood trees Where they stand in silence high above my sorrow There's a message there for you and one for me There's a message there for you and one for me child in myself as I grow older Still feeling every age that I have ever been 
And I have joy when the light breaks through the shoulders Of the Pacific giant swaying in the wind I have a lifetime swaying in my mind again I think I'm grieving the death of part of me
this is kind of how it plays out. Almost as though it's a, it's a film. You're driving at night, and you're alone. I don't know where you've just come from, but you're very pensive and introspective. And that's where this thought occurs. Maybe I should book a flight to San Francisco. The song as a, as a collection of thoughts, did it, did it happen in an, a moment? Were you remembering the Redwoods? What made you think about the Redwoods? I presume you've actually been there. What happened, and how did it manifest itself in this song, either in the moment or however many years later? Is that a good enough question? That's a great question. Um, And I should hopefully be able to answer it. (laughs) Um, So the Redwood Forest, the first time I was in the Redwood Forest was when I was in my early 20s on tour. I I went on tour um, by myself, just self-booked tour across the United States for two months in a, a van that I bought from my parents and it had like a, um, it had this like fold out mattress type of situation in the back. Yeah. And um, so I basically just like lived in that van, broken radio. Like I did, I couldn't listen to music, you know, just logged like 25,000 miles on that thing in a couple months. Oh my gosh. And I was driving down the coast from Seattle down to Los Angeles on the tour. And I saw a sign along the highway and it said Avenue of the Giants. And I said, oh, yeah, that's right. Like I'm by the Redwood Forest, you know. So I got off the exit and I don't know, man, I, it changed me. It changed me instantly. At first, you know, you're driving and you're thinking, that can't be a tree. Like it's just too big. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. You know, especially for an East Coaster where like the biggest trees I've seen are like, you know, the circumference just is nothing like a Redwood. And I parked my van and I went for a hike and the smell of it and just the size of it and the stillness and the peace that I felt and the timeless nature of it, how small I felt, you know, everything about it, something changed in me. I don't know how else to explain it, but something something got rearranged in my mind. And I, I'm, I'm a pretty nature... I love nature, you know, I'm definitely connected to nature, but I'm not like, I don't go camping all the time. I'm not like in the water all the time. That's not really my personality. I'm not a God bless the great indoors person either, but I just, you know, I'm like somewhere in the middle, you know, but, um, but that was a formative experience for me. So I just made it a point to try to go there anytime I'm within like five hours of the Redwood forest, I will drive, out of my way to go and spend, even if it's just an hour walking around, it just centers me, you know? And I think, I think it's like, I think we all have those books we come back to for the same types of ways that they change our minds or like or records we go back to. Like there's, I think at least myself, I'm going to speak for myself, you know, I attach myself to certain things and it could have just been the time of my life or what I was going through. And then the Redwoods kind of just like settled something for me. And I just see them as a place where I go to think. And so until this past November, it had been the longest stretch that I hadn't been to the Redwoods in my adult life since my early 20s. How, how long was the stretch? Um, it had been three and a half years, I think. Okay. And um, my wife and kids and I just went in November. When I finished this record, what's so crazy is that I finished the album in Seattle in mid-November. And then my wife and my children flew out and met me 
and we drove the coast together down to San Francisco to spend Thanksgiving with her brother who lives in Palo Alto. And the impetus of it was that, you know, I wanted to take my family to the most important place to me in the United States. And so, yeah. Had your kid, your kids had not been there prior. No, no. And they're eight and four, you know, so they're very small and, um, yeah, it was incredible. It was, it was beautiful. And it was really, it was kind of trippy too, just to know, like I had just finished this song like a week before I was in the Redwoods again, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it was really heavy on my mind. Um, and so um, the song is really just one day I was sitting in my house and I was feeling a little caged in and, and a little just trapped in the sense that I didn't feel like I was quite being the person I wanted to be and true to my art and true to true to me. And so this is one of those songs that I just started playing and the lyrics just kind of came to me, you know. It's a weird way to write a song. I mean, that I, this idea that like maybe I should book a flight somewhere. Like when I first sang that lyric, you know, I, I ad lib all of the lyrics to my songs. That's the way I do. I start on guitar, I play, and I start to ad lib lyrics, and then I wait for things to take shape. You know, so I'm just singing what's on my mind. Well, that see, all of that together is really interesting to me because this is clearly kind of born from this earliest, very formative memory that you have with the Redwoods. I mean, now you're in this very different place in your life and you, you bring it back, but it's to this place of sorrow. Like the way you just described it was you, you were just feeling a bit down on yourself. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that this significant formative image and memory from your life comes back and you want to superimpose it on the present and, and uh, rent a car and drive up through the Redwood trees where they stand in silence high above my sorrow. You know, you you probably wouldn't have described it as sorrow the first time <laughs> you were yeah. standing under them. Right. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, no because they bring me they bring me so much joy. And you're right. I think it is that I was assigning that first formative memory to the tr- to the redwoods as a place that like I was talking about that somehow corrects my course in some ways. Yeah. And so I was longing for that, you know, like I, I was definitely at a point where I was feeling like, I don't know what to do and I don't know how to shake the cycle that I'm in. And, you know, I had that longing, like if I could just get there and I could just have some stillness and walk around and just like have that feeling of being among the trees again, I might be able to, resolve some of the stuff that I'm dealing with and and might be able to let go of it, you know? And that's the, that's the thing for me. It's like, I think this, like I was talking about before the scale and the timelessness, you know, it somehow helps me zoom out of my own life and see that I'm, I'm just here for, you know, hopefully into my nineties or something. I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but, but my timeline, you know, it's, it flattens the timeline. I see myself, as an older person, I see myself as my young self. Like I see every part of me kind of just like laid out and it helps me, um, helps me just rearrange my vision for what I want to be as a person and how I want to be of service to other people and myself. And, um, it's just all, it's all right there. I don't know how else to explain it. Yeah. Well, that's what I thought those lines were, were beautiful 
especially given that first stanza that they come after. I, I see the child in myself as I get older, still feeling every age that I've ever been. I, you know, I listened to it, I think, on a Sunday morning with my headphones on, and then immediately when the song ended, I you know, hooked my phone up to the Bluetooth and played it and just said, for my wife, she said, listen to this. And when she heard that line, uh, she was like, whoa, <laughs> you know? And it's like, almost like you don't need any other words to describe it other than what you wrote in the song. Just let it, right. let it be what it is. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm glad that that I'm, it means a lot to me that that connected with you because, and I'm, and I'm, I say this not because like you're heaping some kind of praise on me. I hope you, you understand it's not about that. Like, but when people tell me my songs connect with them, it makes me feel less alone. You know, it makes me feel like, Oh, okay. This feeling that I had is not, some isolated incident that other people don't feel, you know, it, it helps me um, feel connected. So that really means a lot to me. Thank you. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, it's a, it's a two way street, the artistic inclination. If, if my wife ever wrote a song, she might not play it for me. Right. You know, she might not play it for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not know what it is that when I write a song and, and normally I do it alone <laughs> And I tweak it, and I edit it, and then when it feels right, I play it for somebody. And why? Yeah. Why do we do that? You know. I, I and I think it's born from this place of, this is how I feel. This is what I'm thinking. Here it is. Yeah. Do with it what you will. Think about it. Feel it. If it resonates with you, great. If not, what did it make you think about? You know. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, everything. All of this stuff that we're doing at its core is maybe a our language for asking for connection. Yeah, totally. Um I agree with that 100%, you know. I I always tell people that for me music has been a very selfish journey in the sense that like I'm trying to sort something out personally in my lyrics and in my songs, but then I, when the song is finished, you know, I'm faced with a choice like to either put it in a shoebox under my bed or make it public, you know, and I've chosen to make it public. And that's because I've been so thankful for the other people who have shared their art with me and to be on the receiving end of it has meant so much that I just feel like if there's something I can contribute to the conversation, I'm going to stick my neck out a little bit and just try, you know? And so it's about creating selfishly and then giving selflessly and hopefully in that kind of uh, push and pull of that selfish and selfless nature, there's some room there for some connection. And I mean that in the sense that like thing, other art that's been created selfish, selfishly is often the things that actually I end up relating to even more, you know, when someone's really working something out personally there's something there for me to attach to. And I want to, I do want to say, you know, I'm sure there's people that will hear this and they're the type of people who feel very scared about sharing their art, you know, and don't want to. And I do think there's a time and a place for that as well. You know, I think there, there it's valid to write in a journal and keep it to yourself, to write songs that you never play for anyone, yeah. to paint pictures that are just for you, you know, any type of creative outlet that you see as helping you as a person should be pursued. And if you don't want to give it to anybody, if you just want to keep it to yourself, that's fine too. That's great. 
Just get it out, you know, get it out of your system, make something if you feel called to do it. And if the time comes to you where you feel like you want to share it, you'll know. And it's probably, and yeah, and it's probably a little scary. It doesn't just happen easily for some people and that's okay too. You know, everybody's journey is their own. Um, my wife, you know, she's an incredible writer and she doesn't share a lot of the things that she writes, even with me, you know. And when she does, I always say to her, like, this is so good. And she's like, yeah, but it's just for me. And I respect that. I say, okay, babe, like, that's, that's fine, you know. Yeah. I think mine is the same way. Yeah. Usually a lot has happened, I think, within her when she finally shows me something. Right. Or really the reality is probably whatever she's ever going to show me, she'll post it as a long reflection on Instagram. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I don't, I actually don't think I get the, like I'll, I'll, <laughs> I, I will, I will run songs by her that are in progress. Like, what, what, do you, what do you think about this? This is the idea I had and I'm, yeah. what do you think about it? She never does that with me. Yeah. But then she'll just like, you know, I'll see an Instagram post of her where she's reflecting on everything that's happening now. And, uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. And beautifully written. And she hasn't, expressed it that way to me yet because she's been piecing it together in in her own way yeah i say thank god for all, everyone who is different and processes differently and i would love to be someone who um only shared things when they were completely <laughs> edited and finished but that's just not my personality i throw it out there i i mean i don't mind the uh the conversation that comes with sorting something out, you know, and it could just be that I, I tend to process externally. Maybe that's the difference, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, Going back to the song for a second, can I say something? I mean, of you, course. Yeah. You know, I, I think we all feel this way, or at least that I, I, I guess I can only speak for myself, but saying you telling me that you resonated with that particular lyric of um, seeing the child in yourself as you get older and feeling every age you've ever been, it's something that is maybe the most important sentiment to me on the album, I think, mm. because it speaks to where I'm at in this time of my life of really being like what would be stereotypically quote unquote middle-aged, you know, and having the ability to look back over 40 years of a lifetime and think about what I want the next 40 years to look like. And I think, um, I still feel like that 10-year-old Denison, like running around with my brothers in the yard. You know, I still feel like the 18-year-old Denison that got his heart broken for the first time. I still feel like the 24-year-old Denison that drove around the country for the first time. I still feel like that idiot Denison in my late 20s making mistakes and just, you know, being whatever. Like, uh, and then in my 30s, figuring some things out, you know, and it's like, I love visiting those parts of me because they're still very much alive in me, you know, but I also am able to recognize I don't want to be that person again, or I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want to live some of those experiences again in the sense that like, I'm mature enough to know I don't really want to put myself through it. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, like I still have that sentimental attachment to those times in my life. And so when I'm seeing about grieving the death of part of me, you know, I'm letting go of some things that are hard to let go of, you know, like just 
but but not but not in a way that I feel hopeless. In a way that I yeah, yeah. Really feel not like, not in a negative sense. No, no, it's not. Yeah. It's not negative. It's just that um, is different. It's not me anymore. You know, this right. is like I'm. I am a changed person. I'm a different person. My my responsibilities are completely different. This is the life that I built, mm-hmm. and was built alongside of me, like me in it. You know, like all the things that I've gathered and tethered onto in this life of mine that are part of me now, you know, are very much important to me. And a lot of those things prohibit me going back to the way things were before. And sometimes that's a hard pill to swallow, but it's also a very beautiful thing. And I think, um, you know, the thing about the Redwoods talking about how it flattens time for me is that it enables me to look at that and go, Oh yeah, I get to do this all over again for the next however many chapters of my life. And I get to tether more things and I get to let go of other parts of me and I get to change and evolve and learn to be a better person, hopefully, and learn to let go and learn to love. And so I see it as an exciting thing, even though it's got a bit of a somber tone to it. I I really meant it as a, a beautiful sentiment and kind of like a benedictive send-off, you know, like the end of the record. It was very important to me to end on that sentiment because it tied it ties up the entire feeling of the record for me, which is, you know, this is where I'm at now, but it's not over, you know, there's so much more to come. Man, that's that's beautiful. I and, and you know, as you were saying all that, I was thinking of how how brilliant the metaphor is given the only redwood forest I've been to is Mere Woods. Yeah, that was the last one I was in. Is it? Yeah. And there is a trunk that's been cut away. Mm-hmm. And you can see, just by looking at the rings, you can see in that one spot every age that that tree has ever been. <laughs> Interesting. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. It's crazy when they put the, when they put the markers of like different major events on a tree and then you just think, wow, that's just been there. Just, just standing there, you know, that's such a beautiful. Yeah. I flew out, um, I was doing something in the Berkeley area and the guy who was kind of my contact and, you know, he said, Hey, you'll have most of the day Friday. Is there anything you want to do? There's a good, there's a couple of good brewery tours we could do. And I emailed him back. I said, uh, if we could just see some redwoods, that yeah. would be great. I've never, I've never seen them, and and I want to do that. And so, you know, he lives there. He he'd been there a bunch, and we're driving there. He says, "Why, why did you want to see the redwoods?" Out of curiosity, with with everything you can see out here, and I said, "I don't know. I, you know, it, it could just be the fact that I know they've been the location for so many films, uh, the newer Planet of the Apes, Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Whenever something is shot in the redwoods." It's usually a different world. Right. And the fact that they're able to use a part of our world, our country, and make us believe that we're on a different planet, a different world. I was like, that's, I want to experience that. Yeah. And we parked, um, it was a bit of a walk where we had to park, but we're fully engaged in conversation and we rounded the corner and that's where you, you enter it. And the conversation just completely stopped. Yeah. And we were both, and he'd been there before. I hadn't, I, I didn't even know who was talking. Just mid sentence, conversation stops. We're both just moved 
to silence. Yeah. The only comparable experience to that feeling of just being moved to silence upon entering was when I, in 2006, when I walked into Notre Dame hmm. in Paris and you know, I had seen photos and Disney's version of it animated, but just right. walking in and, 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 and this is kind of where I'm at now with the red, the redwoods and the ocean are nature's Gothic cathedrals. Yeah. You just, you step into them, you're moved to silence. You're moved with this overwhelming sense of how small you are and it's, it's humbling. It's freeing. Yeah, there's a deep. I just have a deep sense of reverence. That's what happens to me. It's like yeah. it's like yeah. it is. Yeah. It's that awesome, and I mean it not in the cheesy American. That's awesome. I mean it's awesome. Like you're just <laughs> in awe of the situation. I mean, what was interesting to me about this last trip was that my kids just went bonkers. You know, like they definitely had a a sense of of reverence but they were loud you know and i had to come to terms with that too or that when i was like they just ran into the you know they they saw them and they just ran right into the woods and just running all over the trails and any of the forests that we were in where you could go off the trails they were climbing up onto the you know the fallen trees because the redwoods fall over relatively easily because they have a very shallow root structure so you see so many f- trees that are laying on their side and they're like you know they're so tall you know they're they're probably yeah. 12 feet tall or something and so they're climbing up on them and running down the length of them and just screaming and my wife and i at first were like you know guys like you know just be still like enjoy the stillness of it and then um we were talking and we're like I don't know, as a kid, like, wouldn't you just feel like this is the most incredible playground? Like, wouldn't you want to just celebrate it with all of your exuberant love, you know, of just going crazy, you know? So when I could rearrange my brain a little bit and just watch them just play, just pure play, yeah. smiles yeah. on their faces and just tumbling around, it was – I and, and it's funny because I had an experience like that actually when – when I was tour managing Sufjan um, during his Michigan Militia record, we did a tour of the West Coast, and that was like 2004. And I remember driving up. I talked the whole band into going out of the way so we could go through the Redwood Forest. Again, I was like, <laughs> guys, like if you've never experienced the Redwood, we have to do this. This is not something we can just gloss over or just drive yeah, past. Yeah, it's like, a, band, a band pilgrimage. You have to. We have to do it, you know? Yeah. And so we did, and I remember the whole van just emptying out and everyone just kind of doing the same thing, just running and just scattering, you know, among the ferns and the trees and just that sound will live in me forever, you know, just people kind of cackling and amazed, just being amazed by it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Man, so with a a lot of this stuff and and the way that you elaborated – that idea of, you know, feeling every age that I've ever been in every phase of your life. Has there been a dimension of that? Cause it seems like you're a very pensive introspective guy. And so I would say for me, I feel like in any age of my life, there's always been a, a good amount of that where, where I remember eras, Yeah, you know, like I feel like my cousins were my best friends growing up. Yeah. Mine too. Mine too. And I remember the last time we were at my grandparents' lake house in Indiana before they sold it, the last time we were all there together, I kind of knew it, and I was feeling 
very introspective about it. Like, this is the last time this is going to happen. And so I'm wondering, you know, how much of this do you think it w- has been, of your thoughts on all of this, has been compounded by the fact that you also moved into the, the house that you grew up in and, and live by your brother? And, well, I, I should say, I don't live in the home that I grew up in. I, grew, I, I, moved, I moved back to my hometown, but I don't live in the okay. I don't live in the exact house that I grew up in. Gotcha. Um, okay. Just in, just in my hometown. Um, it's, it's a really interesting question, and there's a lot for me to unpack in that, and I'll try my best. Um, I, don't, I'm, I don't think of myself as being an overly sentimental person in the sense that I don't – and maybe it's that I don't attach sentiment to things, I should say. Because mm-hmm. I spent you know, my early 20s to my mid-30s pretty much touring all the time. You know, putting on a record and touring, putting on record and touring. I got really used to living in this suitcase, you know, um, and I got really used to passing through people, you know, and places. And and it was the passing through people thing that eventually really caught up to me and and really started to hurt me emotionally. Was that feeling that like I could never stay around long enough to have like really deep, meaningful relationships, you know, and and um. I'm not used to having a lot of things. Like I, I struggle with being in a house where we kind of just are collecting things. And like, I look around me and I'm like, Oh man, I'm feeling really closed in by all this. I just want to like go, I want to take it all to a thrift store, just put it all in the front yard with a free sign and say, just take it. I don't, nothing belongs to me. I don't want to, I want to be, I don't want to be tied down by it. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, this phase of my life is very much that staying in one place and having a home where my kids have consistency and I have consistency, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's, and, and there was a learning curve for me in that there was a big learning curve in being stationary. I'm not used to it. It's, it was hard. It was really hard for me. Um, but it was really, really good for me. I've had a lot more time lately to reflect over my past and live with it and kind of try to unpack it than I've ever had before because I was usually just on the move, on the move, on the move. And so, yeah, it's it's a different type of reflection, I think, now than I've ever been able to have. I cut myself off when I was kind of laying out how the song plays out almost cinematically in my head. There's a musical transition about midway through. Yeah. And, and that's when the, the ethereal elements that are already a little bit present really amp up. And it becomes a, it becomes a different song. So the way it kind of plays out in my head is that, is that when it begins, you're driving at night. And you're kind of thinking about this. And then for the rest of the song, it's like it's transitioning to you being in the redwoods and glimpses of your life and, and your childhood. And when it comes back to this part, you're back there. It's, it's almost like you're, you're still driving at night, but you, you've now come out of that primary memory that, that was the catalyst for all these other thoughts. And it's almost like there's this, this sense of resolve. I don't know what it's for. Yeah. Well, there is a sense of resolve, but the resolve is... And I'm I'm admittedly like I've become a professional at this type of resolve. The resolve is I don't know and I'm okay. And that's with that. okay. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
and that's that's definitely the resolve it's just it's the orthodoxy kind of you know for every answer comes a new question you know anytime we're given a bit of information right you know for for a mind that likes to inquire you go oh now that i have this information what what about this new thing that i didn't even realize i was going to think of next <laughs> right now that i have this information what about you know and I think I've always been in that push and pull, you know, and I've, I live very comfortably in that space. Um, I live curiously, but I have no need to feel like I know everything. And I, I like not knowing it keeps me on my toes. So, yeah. Yeah. Just, just looking at the words that kind of repeat in that second half of the song, you know, it's, it's everything I've got. It's not everything I need. And, and maybe, what you're referring to there is, uh, you know, this need within you to be active, I guess maybe more so in, in with music than you have been yeah. in recent years. You know, I, I've, it's everything I've got. It's not everything I need. It's okay. It's, it's okay being what it is. And I made my bed here and this is where I stay. That sense of, um, not permanence that you were talking about, but stability, consistency, and commitment. It's yeah, a commi- right. It's a right. commitment more than anything. It's a, it's an acknowledgement, but it's also a commitment. That's the most. I think the most important takeaway for me is that I'm acknowledging it's not everything I need, but I'm also committed to it. You know, and nothing can be. You know, and I and my wife and I talk about this a lot. Like, just you know, if I'm gonna zoom into one little. Uh, aspect of my life. Well, I shouldn't say one little because it's a huge aspect of my life being married, but you know, that I can't be everything to her. She can't be everything to me. You know, we have, we have a great relationship and we are each other's best friends and we are each other's sounding boards. And we are like the 98% part of the other person, but like she needs to have her friends who are not me to talk to and I need to have my friends who are not her to talk to about things that we just can't for whatever reason connect. That's a really good thing, you know, and as a couple spending time with other people because those other people think to ask her questions that I would never ask her because it's, I don't know why there's a roadblock there or just that my brain doesn't go to a certain place where I would, ask her the same things. And those people ask me things and we learn so much about each other when we put ourselves in positions where we are around other people, you know, and other experiences. So I don't know. I mean, to say it's, it's not everything I need is, I guess it's just true. It's like, I have, I have so many desires and things that I want to pursue and those things aren't always in the present, you know, at least they weren't when I wrote that song. So I don't know. Sometimes I get worried about talking about my song. If I, <laughs> if I can be completely honest, it's, it's, I've been doing it with this record and um, it's something I've, I think I've, I've shied away from a lot because my fear has always been, you know, what if I over explain something and I take away the meaning from someone who has ingested something and it means something particular to them, you know, and I always fear, well, if I over explain it, what if I change it and the song means less, you know? Yeah. I, I'm not so hung up on that as much as I used to be, but I definitely, uh, it's definitely something I'm conscious of, but can go ahead. Yeah. 
No, I, was, I, I have a story that might quell that fear for you. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. So I'm friends with a lot of songwriters, which is one of the reasons why I started this podcast. You know, you, you travel with people, you play with them, you, you hear songs that they're working on. And then three years later, you're in the studio together and it's like, oh, this is the one you showed me in, in uh, Tennessee or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You, you know how it is. So a good friend of mine, um, his name is Chris Cole, and he's got a song called Your Love Brings Me Home. The tag of the chorus is life brings me places, but your love brings me home. I know exactly what it's about. I've been to the place that he's singing about. Like, we've talked through every line of the song over the years. Yeah. Five years after he records it, this past December, my, my grandmother passes away. And then that Saturday morning after she passed away, I'm making pancakes for our girls, and I, um, I just pull his song up, and I started to, I started to cry. Yeah. I know exactly what the song was written about. I know who's referenced in every line. I've, I've done a concert in the living room where he wrote it. <laughs> right. And yet now when I hear it, all I can think about is my grandma, and your love brings me home. And so this, this is, this is, I've heard a lot of, of artists kind of say what you're saying, that I never, I never like to say what a song means because you don't want to ruin it for other people. Yeah. But man, I, for me, it just... I think it only adds to the mystery that a song can be about a very specific thing. You can know it, but when you hear it, when I hear it, it it's something for me. Like I know now about your experience seeing the Redwoods for the first time. Right. But when I listen to it, what I think about the most, like what hits me is me seeing them for the first time, you know? Yeah. That's Yeah. I hope that is well, can kind of quell <laughs> your concerns about about talking about it all. Yeah, definitely. It does. It does. Um, it makes me think about how 20 years into a career in music, you know, I even hear some of my own songs differently now. Like, yeah, I hear songs from my very first album. Some of them, you know, will, f- will completely fall flat on me. Like I don't connect with them anymore, but some of them, some of them, I can be that same young Denison you know, heartbroken. And I, I remember the feeling I had when I wrote that song, like distinctly I'm in that moment. And then other songs, you know, I hear them and I think, Oh wow. With, with all of this life behind me now, this song actually means something else to me. Like the the song itself is not even about what I wrote it about. It's about something else. And it's really weird to hear one of your own songs and, hear it in a completely new light. It's it's beautiful because for me it shows me that other people may be translated it in a different way, you know. And when you're in the moment writing something, it's so myopic like you're just only thinking about what you're writing about. You just can't hear it the way somebody else hears it. At least I'm not that type of person. I can't hear it from all those different perspectives. But it's really I love going back to songs that I love of my own or other people's and hearing them again in kind of a new perspective. Maybe I should book a flight to San Francisco Rent a car and drive up through the redwood trees Where they stand in silence high above my sorrow 
There's a message there for you and one for me. There's a message there for you and one for me. Child in myself as I grow older, still feeling every age that I have ever been, and I have joy when the light breaks through the shore of the Pacific giant swaying. I have a lifetime swing in my mind again. I think I'm grieving the death of part of me. I think I'm leaving. Won't you come with me? I think I'm grieving. Part of me. I think I'm leaving. Won't you come with me? Thank、you
If you enjoyed my conversation with Dennison, be sure to check out more of his work wherever you get your music. It's all on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, Google Play, Bandcamp, and more. And you can go straight to his website, DennisonWhitmer.com, to learn more and to get the links to follow him on social media. You can support this podcast and my various other creative endeavors on Patreon. And as I mentioned in the intro, you can currently hear an exclusive bonus episode featuring more with Dennison at patreon.com slash song and story. Be sure to follow Song and Story Podcast and me, Kevin Heider, on social media. As always, thank you for listening because you still are. Here you go. I was talking about this the other day with another friend of mine about how like I've been listening to all these records I loved when I was a teenager again lately. Like I I was really obsessed with this band, the Lemonheads. It was like a such a big important band to me. I saw you play which one was what which one is that? The into your I arms? The, on, into, on, yeah, yeah. On my on my Instagram, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It was because it's such a beautiful song. I mean, I've been tr- I've been thinking about making a lullaby album of songs that are not typical lullabies, and that was one that was, yeah. I was kind of messing around. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, but you know, I I remember being a teenager and, and seeing you know these people who were in their twenties and early thirties and like looking up to them as like the adults who are kind of paving the way. It's like that's what my adult that's what adult freedom looks like. You know, like these bands. And then living it, and then now I'm forty something, and I listen back to those songs. I'm older than they. I'm I'm you know, ten fifteen years older than they were when they wrote those songs, and I just want to hug them now. I just want to like I want to take those kids and be like, it's gonna be okay, you know. I I, yeah. I just I want to gather them, you know, and be like, I know you're in it right now, but like it's gonna be all it's gonna be all right. That's so you funny. Know? So it's funny to hear something when you're young and really look up to it as like the roadmap for your life and then be on the other side of it and be like, wow, I just, I know that experience so well. And I just, I really feel for him, you know, so much empathy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> well, man, I, this is an honor for me to be talking to you and I don't even know if I've said this yet. I'm Kevin. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. <laughs> and thank you very much for all the time words about my record really means a lot to me well that's you know i i've probably listened to the full album all the way through about probably 10 or 12 times now um but back in the day you know it was i I went to do a semester studying abroad in um austria and before i left a friend had burned me burned me a copy of seven swans oh cool it's because he knew i played and sang he said you got to listen to this I didn't. I just lost, kept thinking about it, never listened to it, lost the CD. And then years later, my uh, girl who became my wife, she lent me Sufjan's Songs for Christmas. And at the time, like, the discovery of Sufjan, it just opened me up to the this entire asthmatic kitty world. Like, you and Rosie and it, it, uh, Welcome Wagon, just... You know, for me, it was. It, I'm a big. I was a big Simon and Garfunkel fan, and Gordon Lightfoot. You know, I loved my dad's classic rock records growing up, right. uh, especially like I love Zeppelin. But my favorite Zeppelin song is "Going to California," 
And right. that's like, that's when they, they strip it back and go folk. And right. so, so this kind of like, this kind of neo folk Americana revival was happening on the indie scene that I was previously unaware of. And so just when I found all you guys, it was just this joyful world <laughs> that I had yeah. been exposed to. And so to get to talk to you is is really cool. It's it's an honor for me. So oh, thank you so much. Yeah. It's funny because you never know where your music goes once you release it. You know, it's not your at least I always view it as it's not mine anymore. It just kind of belongs to everyone. And I know what it's like to be part of a musical family in the sense that like these are my friends who are making music and we happen to be lined up on the same record label and we feel a sense of kinship, you know. But I never really know exactly how that translates to other people, you know, because I've never – I know as a music fan what it's like to like a particular record label. So I've always thought, well, it's got to be similar to that. But it's neat to hear that someone found Asthmatic Kitty and really views it as the home for, like, a group of friends in the way that you kind of perceive it because it really is that way. It's a very – you know, they run their label through – a lot of the advice of the artists too, you know, we all have a pretty strong say in how our music is presented to people, which is really nice. Um, It seems very countercultural as far as labels go. Yeah. I think that's their whole point though, because I I really have to give Sufjan the credit for that because he never worked with anybody other than his own label. And he always got a chance to, um, you know, no one ever put the pressure on him to say, to make him say or do things that he didn't want to do. And a lot of times record labels will do that. <laughs> and so he was always able to, you know, kind of call the shots. And so he always emphasizes to the artists that are on the record label that, you know, we have to make the decisions that are important to us and kind of um, be true to ourselves as artists, you know. Sure. And the label never pokes around and what songs they think we should put out as singles or any of that kind of stuff. It's really just our artistic venture and they're just here to support us. So. That's see, that's great. And, and I think on some level that must've been a big part of what came through to me and to everybody who's a fan of the, of the whole label and community, nothing in anybody's sound has that, um, the factory kind of production. Right. Right. Not knowing you, this record to me plays as this is what Denison feels like right now. Yeah, that's always my hope. You know, for me, it's um, honesty is a big part of making music. You know, I feel like if I'm not being honest with people, I'm not doing the right thing. And what I mean by that is every time I've ever tried to write a song from most of the times when I've tried to set out to write something about something particular, like if I've given myself an assignment, you know, I should write a song about this, you know, it always, or that, like it always kind of falls flat to me. And I find that if I just wait for the songs to come to me or wait for my thoughts to finally kind of come to the surface and I just create a space where I can let them come out and just try to be as mindful as possible, then it serves my music better than any anything that's ever forced. And that's probably why it took so long to make this record. You know, there was a huge hiatus between my two al- my last two albums, you know. My last record was 2013, you know, and here so, you know, these songs have been 
I've been writing them over the course of the last five years. And I just, I don't know, I didn't want to hurry it. You know, I just, I didn't feel ready and I didn't feel like there was any reason to. So, well, it, it seems like something that kind of simmered and rose to the surface when it was meant to. So, I hope so. I hope so. There were definitely days where I wished I was just done with the record and I could just put it out. <laughs> but, you know, it's just not that way. And, you know, yeah. we, um, Part of moving to this new house, it was setting up a new life back in my, you know, my hometown and um, adding another kid to the mix. And I mean, I don't have to tell you, you know, we just talked about this, our lives with children. Like my life's not my own anymore. You know, I'm not like in my late twenties, just doing whatever I want. You know, I have a lot of responsibilities and other people that I'm looking out for and I'm part of a family unit, you know? And so um, music is always super it's obviously super important to me and it is my creative outlet but it is one of those things that was kind of pushed to the peripheral for a while as we were kind of setting up our lives here and um luckily my wife is a cool enough person to recognize that when i'm not making music i'm not as happy as <laughs> i am when i am making music yeah. you know and so we had to have that long conversation about like what was making us happy and what was making us miserable, you know, and we had to create that space for each other so that she could explore the things that make her feel like a full person. And I could explore the things that make me feel like a full person outside of just our family unit, you know? Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So that's a very long winded answer, I guess, to say I made a record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, that resonates with me on pretty much every level. Um, I put out a, a record in October, but it was all Springsteen songs. I know. I listened to it today. It was really cool. Oh, cool. I was really impressed by that, by the way. Oh, my I'm gosh. I'm a big fan of the song Youngstown. And so when I saw that uh, and listened to it, I was like, wow, man, you, you, you got it right on. It's, it's Oh, cool. You definitely captured the spirit of that song for me. Like That record, The Ghost of Tom Joad, is such a special record to me. So, um, yeah, when I saw that, I saw the image on your website and I was like, wait a minute, is this all, oh, okay, cool. You know, this yeah. is great. So, yeah, well, yeah. that's, I was not expecting that. That was preposterous. I thank you. Um, yeah, that, well, every song on there is, only one of them is from the Nebraska record, but I produced them all uh -huh. like in that style. Yeah, yeah. And you did a great job. The production's really cool. <laughs> thank you. This yeah. mic is the only one that I used. Yeah, and I did it all. I did it all in my parents' uh, bedroom. <laughs> that's so. <laughs> no, I'm cool, sorry. Man. That's not true. I did it all in my old bedroom at my parents' house. Okay. I did yeah, not record it in my parents' bedroom. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Was, Snuck into your parents' house when they weren't there and recorded <laughs> in their bedroom. Yeah. No, I would. They were all sleeping, and I have a 16, 16 year old sister, and and they're all asleep, and I'm there till two or three in the morning, just recording Springsteen songs in my old bedroom. That's really cool. I've never made a record. Uh, entirely by myself like that where i've recorded everything and mixed it myself and so i, I always um i get, i usually get really sucked into those kind of records when i when i know someone kind of put the whole thing together like i'm so impressed by it and i've always wanted to do it and i'm just too afraid i don't know <laughs> i don't know why yeah maybe one of these days i mean i did make a record earlier this year that um i put out under a side project name it's called uncle denny and the record's called january 2020 and that one was um a project where i wrote a i wrote a song every day and recorded it that night 
and I, I couldn't over edit it and I just had to do it. So I put it up on Bandcamp and I edited it down to about 20 songs. I thought like there were definitely about 10 of them that I thought weren't worth doing anything with, <laughs> but that was just a single microphone recording. That was just this microphone that I'm, you know, talking like to right now. One track, like playing and singing at the same time. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I gave myself pretty strict rules where I had to write the song that day. And then I also um, had to perform it in three takes. Like I gave myself three takes to play the song. Okay. And then I listened back to those three takes and I chose whichever one I thought was the best performance of the song. And then I just put it forward. So, yeah. That's so cool. So where is that on Bandcamp? Is it Uncle Denny? No, it's on my Dennis and Whitmer page, but it's it's a picture of me looking. There's a picture of a guitar case and then a camera balanced on top of it. I'm looking through it. And it's, uh, it's just called Uncle Denny January 2020 is the name of the record. That's really cool. All right. I'm going to listen to that. Yeah. That's next. Cool. Um, oh, great. See, this is why these episodes, they take me a really long time to edit. Because <laughs> <laughs> we start talking about you and then Asthmatic Kitty, then this record, and then my record. And I don't know where we are now, but. Yeah, it's okay. Everything gets reordered. And uh, sometimes I'll put tan- interesting tangents at the end as like a little bonus clip. But um, Yeah. Um, all right. Well, dude, let's um, let's dive into the song here. 